I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Being human in your approach to marketing is important. People don't want to feel like they're being marketed to, and they don't want to feel like they're just another marketing metric. When we humanize our marketing, people respond to it, people engage with it, and people remember it. But what does human marketing look like? I'm Joe Glover. I'm the founder of The Marketing Meetup. It's a community of 14,000 marketers around the UK and established very much on the basis of looking after each other and uh, just looking at marketing in, in a way where the humans come first. I'm Richard Wood. I run the marketing agency Six and Flow. I've worked in marketing for around about 18 years now and I'm a massive believer in that people should be trying to engage with people on a human level, not just treating people as leads and numbers in a spreadsheet anymore. It's all well and good as singing the praises of being more human in our approach to marketing. But what's the framework? How is this different from the norm? In this episode, Rich and I are going to talk through our early thoughts on what should make up a human marketing framework. So Rich, how do we start our framework? Uh, good question, Joe. <laughs> Glad you asked. Uh, for me, like I, I think of a framework of or kind of a guidelines of, of how, how people should be marketing in a more human way is is a good way to start thinking about what it is, all this like stuff that we are generally talking about. So every every week, and I think it's in our intro as well, we talk about being more human, not treating people like spreadsheets, humans come first, all of that kind of stuff bundles into that. But like, what the fuck does that actually mean? Because it's like with all those other words that are being banded around in marketing, um, empathy, I think was one of your favorites despite working for empath marketing and like like what is what does being human mean and like what makes up the parts of being human and obviously leading up to this thinking about like what things roll into being human and for me it comes down to the way that we communicate and what we're communicating i think it's interesting that you use the words um the way we communicate because i think even on that there's an implication that there's an element of tactics i guess and it's a little bit more down in the weeds whereas and, and I, I know you as a marketer so like I know that you probably do take it up a level and, and sort of think about marketing as a whole um, but I think it probably is a lot f- more wide than communications I guess um, for me I don't really think that it's um, how we communicate is necessarily tactics driven I think it is more more high level than that it's about what we're communicating and and where we're taking it i don't think so it, like if you're using a channel like whatsapp for example it's going to change the ways that you use that and that's more tactically so that's going to be more bite size it might be more flippant more casual but i think overall it's not necessarily tactics driven it's much more about how we're communicating from a like a human level so speed of communication the the fact that it's more conversational now or the fact that 
it, it needs to be representative of your values or how you want to be perceived as a brand. I think that kind of stuff makes up to it and not necessarily the tactics, but 100%, the level below that is then how do we how do we translate that the the hows and whys back into the actual tech and mediums that we want to use? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Cool. So, um, if we were to start with uh, definitions uh, to begin with, then then I've always worked on the basis that marketing is meeting the needs of the customer, uh, and you know the customer is another byword for a human being. And I think really in terms of a framework, that feels like a nice place to start. Because what we're saying is that marketing as an activity, and I'm aware that we've spoken definitions of marketing before, um, but if you are aware that you're solving the need, the problem, uh, the requirement of a human being on the other side, I feel like that's been a mindset that has shifted how I'm marketing away from the tactics, uh, whatever, and, and into like, okay, well, look, if I was communicating with you on, on the street, then how would I want that to happen? And my dad always speaks about this, like, so he was uh, in a, you know, a reasonably important job and stuff like that. And he said that he always still used to apply the, uh, would I have this conversation with my mates down the pub uh, thing? And if they can't understand it, then, um, you know, I'm actually not solving the problem of a real human being. I'm just sort of part of the system, so to speak. So that's always been really, really important to me. So like on on the very sort of baseline, that would be how I define this. Have you ever heard from a like a, a a tech or designer development perspective the mum test? So like when you are creating something and then you you put it in front of your mum and like my mum is um, I don't know the nicest way to put it, but my mum can't use tech. <laughs> I'm trying to not not offend her because you know my mum is like one of our three listeners. Yeah. So and but she so like and that that principle works. So if you say okay, I'm going to build this thing or this platform, this user interface can my mother understand it because if she can it should be easy for everybody else so you're like building that lowest common denominator and i think that like your dad's principle there i'm not saying his mates in the pub are the lowest common denominator in (laughs) in society but (laughs) then representative of uh a familiarity or a casualness in communication which people find endearing or at least non-threatening based on like what your dad's role was. So I think that is a great rule of thumb to have. Yeah, absolutely. It just grounds everything after that point. So, you know, we've already alluded to this in, in our initial preamble. You know, one example of doing this is being real in your marketing. And and you've, you've spoken about this a little bit. So do you want to speak a little bit about what you mean by being real? Uh, so this actually just um, like spurred from a discussion I had with my, um, my my mother the other day. So we so every so often me and my mom go out and have a a like a day out. Just kind of we go out for lunch. We just hang out for the day, and we were walking through Pisa, and we we really like the architecture and the, like the character that all of the buildings have. And then we were talking about another. So there's an area in Tuscany called Castle Falfi, which is. A, an area that is um, it's owned by like a lot of Germans and it was redone uh, after the war and finished to it's it's really nicely finished like it's it nicely plastered walls it's very straight lines very clean and that's not Tuscany Tuscany the buildings look like they're falling down they have character to them and my mum made a like a comment that kind of stuck with me and she was saying well actually like it's it's people's wrinkles that 
give them character and make you make you appreciate them and for me i think that's that's what being real is i mean if you talk about being real in your marketing everybody makes mistakes like people people make spelling mistakes people use incorrect grammar and i think on a on a certain level that will jar with certain people but on Mm -hmm. a certain level that actually also i think starts to bring in that human element because none of us are perfect apart from you joe obviously (laughs) and as part of that don't try to be something you're not. So if you're like, for me, like nobody, I, I would perceive people to have a perception of my personal brand as unpolished in parts, fairly raw, quite, quite mouthy or like happy to share an opinion. Mm. And I think if I were to then start having like a very clear cut, very formal tone with my marketing, it just doesn't, mm. just doesn't work. And then there is that, I think that whole, like as in your, your dad's rule of thumb, how, how do I talk to people? And that's exactly how I talk to people because that's how my brand sits. Mm. I don't know, brand in the grandiose term. And yeah. so for me, that's what being real in your marketing is. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And and I guess we sit here as in privileged, well, privileged positions in many, many ways, but also privileged positions in the way that we are the founders of companies, you know, so I think one of the most liberating things for me as a marketer has been the ability to market my company and market myself, you know, in the way that I wanted. But I do think back to a time where I worked for other people and I felt like I had to uh, speak like how they spoke or um you know sort of adhere to those those brand guidelines or what someone else expected to me so with your team with you having this awareness that you want people to be quote unquote real do you have like a way of communicating with the team which encourages them to be more real in the marketing of six and flow within uh, a brand which is also very wrapped up in your own personal brand so we're like, and we've talked about this previously as well, but like where we are as a brand now, so Six and Flow now over the last couple of years has transitioned away from having me as that kind of linchpin and being a direct representation of me almost. Mm-hmm. And it now stands in its own right. It has its own tone of voice. They are very, very linked. But mm-hmm. I think that then also comes down to the people that make up that team. So with any startup, business the first people you employ are normally employed in your image and i think that's i mean it's not a not necessarily a conscious decision but Mm -hmm. it's we employ the people that we are kind of drawn to and we're drawn to the similarities and all that kind of and familiarities that we see and i think it's only once a company starts to mature and we realize that that we start to bring in the people who actually make up the more diverse culture. So I think actually mm-hmm. a lot of the people within our business, although we do have a diverse culture and one like cognitive diversity is one of the things that we are striving and pushing for at the moment. And I love how wanky the term is, but <laughs> like where we are as a business now, we have a lot of similar people, but we do also have some diverging opinions. We do have like people who are more focused on um, certain areas of society or certain politics and that's great but we do have i would say we have kind of guidelines of the stuff that we will and won't talk about as a brand now mm-hmm. as a as a brand we now have uh, as a business we now have as in response to everything that went on with blm and like where we are as a society now we've created mm-hmm. a culture steering group that is starting mm-hmm. to help dictate some of that stuff and it will start to move away from my thinking my tone of voice and it will start to take on its own developing tone of voice and that's mm-hmm. that's amazing because then it becomes its own thing it's also terrifying because you're like well actually 
I don't necessarily have control over that anymore, but that's that's fine. That's a natural progression. That's where we should get to. Um, I can't even know. I don't even know if that answers your question, though. Well, it question? kind of does because what it indicates to me is that um, communication is something that kind of develops over time. You know, the the realism of this thing, you know, is something which starts with you, yeah. um, and you create a company in your image. And and I guess there'll be a lot of folks here who are sort of in startup companies who probably do have like a a key ambassadorial figure you know, who sort of does most of the outward marketing and is sort of that person. Um, but then over the course of time, you can look to develop these things and it becomes more of a, a, a mishmash of, of voices rather than necessarily individuals and individuals represent those things. So I think what we've represented there is a progression of companies through their, their quote unquote being real and being real can be done in two different ways. It can be as an individual or as a company but you're representing both, which is, you know, really fascinating to me. So. But, and like on one of those points, I would say for any, any new business start, like don't expect people to come in and just adopt your culture. That's, that shouldn't be what you're aiming for. And I think that's one of the mistakes that people often make now when they're talking about a culture led company, mm-hmm. people coming into your business should add to your culture. They should, they, they should be helping develop your culture because cultures, cultures will shift. They will change. They, they, they mature, they adapt. And I think if you're expecting people to just come in and take on your culture and be who the company is at that point, the company yeah. will never progress. And you will end up with people who weren't part of that initial culture journey and things have to keep moving. So I think as any startup business who is in that space now, start looking for people who will add to your culture, not just are your culture. Mm-hmm. No, that's so true. Although I, I do think there's a good point here, which uh, is the, the next point in our list, which is, wear your values on your sleeve um so if i sort of you know if i think about me and my wife like we're very very different characters you know in 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 life you know i'm I'm sort of the emotional one she's very practical and stuff like that but the fundamental thing that we've always had in life is that like our values are very aligned you know we always look to look after people uh you know generally speaking we we value the opinions of other people you know we're, we're very very similar on that bedrock level and then we've kind of built that up and I think um, to the point of a human marketing framework, I think there's something about this, which means that by being aware of your values, you attract the people you want to attract and you, 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 you know, you push away the people who don't want to be part of that. And that applies to both hiring as you've spoken about it in this context, but then also communication as you know, we can speak about it in a broader sense with the framework. Um, so you know, as an example, the marketing meetup, we are like, we had a few uh, strategy day a couple of weeks ago, like fully the, the thing that makes the marketing meetup special over the course of time has been that we have doubled down on the kindness angle and the loving angle, you know, and, and being nice and looking after each other. You make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, but like, it's very, very easy to create an organization which provides education. It's very, very easy to spring up a networking event. What isn't easy is to create an atmosphere which feels authentic to a group of people and everyone comes in under that unified purpose. So I think like the way that we've embodied that through our communication and through our actions is like we're showing it during the events with like the actual events themselves and, and how they're, they're sort of done. But then every bit of communication that we've ever done has always been very personable, but it's always been grounded in those values. Um, so as a second point here, I just think like wearing your values on your sleeve is 
just so freaking important because it really does attract the people you want and push away the ones you don't. But then it just makes everything so much stronger after that point. Um, have you, think, so has the marketing meetup, what are your values articulated? Well, so it's interesting. So like for, initially we didn't have any, like it, there, there were none, you know, it was just like, we're, we're going to have a networking group and just bring people together. Um, after about six months, we ended up in a place which was uh, like, it was literally a slide, which was like, listen, say hello and be positively lovely. And that was like, that was an organic thing. That wasn't like, oh, these are going to be our values. This is what we're going to write on the wall. That was just a slide. But I kept that slide in over the course of time. And then eventually it became the one slide that was sort of kept in at every event, you know, because of those became like the three things that we like instructed people to do. Now, I know there's a big difference between instructing and a value, but, you know, that third one, be positively lovely, has always been the one that people have quoted back to me, which is like, oh, you know, this really is a positively lovely event. And, and you know, it is because it's the most twee phrase in the entire world, you know, positively lovely distracts a lot of people away from uh what it's supposed to mean but have you ever had anybody that jars with those values um we've had a couple of people who have come in and you know quite clearly weren't in the right space but there's never been anyone that's come in and like viciously disagreed with it or anything like that i don't think you know they might not come back but nobody's ever gone oh well this is a bunch of wank you know people being nice to each other you know fuck that shit i'm out <laughs> so you know so I, i'm sure there are people along the way there was an example a few uh, weeks ago where a guy wrote on linkedin uh, he commented on someone's status saying the way those people write makes my toes curl and like i, I felt so happy about that comment because it was just like you know we're, we're there you know we've got a brand <laughs> you know so uh, there are people who don't like it but that's okay so you know i'm, but... I'm, I'm upset that somebody else is trolling you <laughs> this, is, this is my game i mean, did a much better job than you did so <laughs> so i and like so the next point that i had scribbled on this list is it comes back to your point about communication and like the question around the, whether it was tactics or not but i think and this this is one that i think is driven home by the the positioning that drift had maybe still has but they're starting to move more into that revenue acceleration type thing but for drift it's always been around the art of now. So like people wanting to communicate with you when they want to communicate. Nobody wants to feel like they're going through a marketing machine anymore. Nobody wants to go to a landing page, download a guide, wait 24 hours for a salesperson to call them and come back through the, the funnel like that. Nobody wants that. If I want information from a brand or like a business, I want to be able to go to the website. If sometimes, depending on what I'm looking for, I'll go to their knowledge base. Then I want to have a chat, like user chat, or whatever and I want to be able to speak to them then and there I don't want to have to wait for a call center or anything like that I just want to be able to do what I want to be able to do then and there and I think that's that's an important part of human marketing I'm not saying that everybody needs to be able to communicate 24 hours a day you should have mechanisms to be able to feed the information to people when they need it but I think having the ability to uh, having the ability to give people communication when they want it and how they want it that is key to marketing in the like a human centric way now i think like if i if i want to communicate via sms or if i want to use whatsapp or um facebook messenger then that should be the mechanisms that you allow me to have and we are almost in that space there's an there's enough tools out there and there's enough 
processes to almost give you that omnipresence of communication channels. And from a human marketing perspective, although the flip side of that though is like Joe, you and I have a number of different communication channels and like and we've tried different ones that work for us. I mean we tried Slack and you couldn't figure it out, go figure. <laughs> but and like and although I have those different means to contact you i will resort to whatsapp because it's the one where we have the most consistent and the more real-time engagement and i think that's important to brands to remember as well is if you're going to have these different channels then you have to be able to respond on them there's no point having a, a messenger set up that then nobody ever gets a, a message back from so i think communicating with your your customers or prospects or like the people that make up your customer base in the ways that they want, when they want it. Mm-hmm. Do you think, on on the subject of human, do you think that, and I'm throwing you, I'm throwing you one hit up here to knock out the park, really. Do you think chatbots can be human? You know, because so, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think chat gives you the ability to have have human conversations when people want them. So if you come to our website now, like in the hours of, I think it's between nine and five or depending on what region you're in, Mm -hmm. you will more than likely end up speaking to one of our sales team. So like it will route through to them. You can have a real conversation or if you're a customer, it'll go straight through to one of the CSMs. Like it's, that's the way it's geared up because we want to connect people with people as quickly as possible because that's where we get the best outcomes. What bots do on top of that is give you the ability to scale that. So you can use bots to qualify and then redirect somebody to a human very, very quickly, which means you can cut out some of the chaff. Like some people will just come to the website and just ask stupid questions or they just want to know, how do I find out about the next event? Bots Mm -hmm. can pick that stuff up. You don't need a human to do that. It's only when people actually want a human conversation that you should bring the humans in. So I think bots... Bots can be human in their approach. So again, if you go and play around with any of our bots, we have a, it's a cricketing term, but we have a night watchman who sits on our website when everybody else is offline. Mm-hmm. And that is very, I mean, it, it, it is very brand representative of us. So it is sarcastic in points. It uses memes and GIFs and it it helps guide people through in a way that is, it, it feels human, but we're very clear that it's not a human. And we are talking about it redirecting you to humans, but we still wanted the ability to give it a, uh, to allow people to sense our brand. And you can't do that with the form. So that's that's the beauty of using a bot in that scenario. But to answer your question in a, a shorter format, I think you can you can give off the air of humanity within a bot, but I think at the same time, you should be very clear that it's not a human. We're not talking about AI here. We're not talking about replacing the human experience we're talking about amplifying the human experience mm-hmm. that's really interesting it's almost it, it sounds like a very you know i'm speaking to someone who's obviously got a lot of experience in this space but like there's a balance to be had by saying you know we want it to mimic it but be very clear this is not what it is yeah. um, and actually as part of a framework then this becomes increasingly more relevant you know in, in three four five ten years where ai does come in and for example, we're having this same conversation and you probably could have a conversation with a, an AI bot and probably not tell the difference. Um, I, I've got no problems with communicating with a bot and quite often mm-hmm. I would prefer it because yeah. like, I mean, the nice thing about a bot is you can cut out all the chaff of like, hi, how you doing? Like you can just get rid of that shit because you don't need it. I just need the answers yeah. and I need the answers quickly. And that's yeah. great. And I think that's, that's where they come into their own. And 
that's where it's exciting, particularly when you start growing it. And so, yeah, again, I don't mind dealing with a bot as long as somebody doesn't try to pretend it's yeah. not a bot. So if you, if like, if the marketing meetup had a sign up bot for your event, great. Mm. I like, I don't need you to pretend that that's Joe sat on the other end of the keyboard. Cause if it is, I'm going to be like, you've got loads of signups coming here. Have you not got anything better to do with your, <laughs> which yeah. I mean, I know yeah. you. Yeah. So that's probably fair. <laughs> you're, so, you're so right. That's really, really interesting. That, that, that's uh yeah that's really fascinating and and to your point about uh the the second thing was about native communication and making sure that communication is relevant for the channel it's on you know i just reinforced that point wholeheartedly you know there's it's been marketing good practice for uh you know sort of like inbound content marketing social media whatever it may be to have that communication sort of native to that platform. So if it's on Instagram, optimize that image for Instagram or whatever. But when we're speaking about that two-way communication, then it's absolutely vital. Imagine is- imagine you're dealing with a brand on Instagram and you get like a new, you're going through a conversation or whatever, and you get a, a full-on substantial email length reply in mm-hmm. there. You're going to be like, oh, there's no way I'm going to scan. Like we're just not geared up to scan that. We want short bitty content <laughs> bitty um, um so we want short format content that is like digestible and but then again on, on email you might want something that is longer format more detailed because that's that's what you need from that platform and that's that's important to remember when you're communicating with people so like like you and i like if we're discussing okay what what's the next episode idea we want to do that's fine i'll stick you like a line in the um whatsapp or you've sent me like voice notes or video notes before and that's fine because we can have more thought process but if we wanted to outline step by step by step or something that i know you're going to want to cut and paste or be able to open on a different platform i'm going to send you an email because it's going to be easier for you to digest not necessarily easier for me to create but it's if we're talking about communicating as brands as humans then it should be about what we're expecting the person to do at the other end not what's easier for you no, it's so true. And, you know, just on a on a sort of anecdotal level, then the amount of times you see emails that are like 50 pages long or whatever it feels like, and it's like, you know, just ring me, you know, yeah. just ring me or let's have a, a meeting or whatever it is about, because this is not the right thing. Anyway, I think we, we dive. We, just uh, on, on that point, though, what I do at the top of, if I ever send somebody a long email, mm-hmm. I will send one line at the top that says, like, it is a, like, too long, don't read. And it will say, the only bits I need you to read and acknowledge in this email, I've highlighted in bold. The rest of it is just context. Yeah, nice. And that's nice. it. It works really well. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, I sometimes um, use. It, it depends on the context, but I've, I've increasingly found that I'm using Drift Video as well um, because even a minute of spoken word is a, a lot more expressive, but also quicker to to, to sort of absorb than than uh, the written word. It, it feels like. There is the flip side, which is I've had some drift videos which are like eight minutes long, and like you can't scan it. You're in for the eight minutes, and it's like fucking hell. That's the, just the worst. Thing. So, great thing about drift video now as well is it links in with the the chatbot, so you can have the bots um, as part of it. So it doesn't just have to be a live chat, which is uh, brilliant for like when you're you're sending out prospecting emails as well. So nice. you can then connect somebody from from an email through a bot and kind of ping it back through to the live conversation, which is very handy. But also scanning it, if you're going to send out videos, 
use the captions tool so people like you can you can get the transcription and you can actually put the transcription into the email if you really wanted to so if it's super long you could transcribe it oh interesting okay i didn't know that anyways um, you're welcome <laughs> um, so for like one of the next points we've got in here is and i think like we've we've actually got communication down in different ways and i think we've covered a few of them and, and like one of them is and it's a quick one is that communication should be two-way like stop thinking in broadcast and mm -hmm. start thinking about driving conversations and we've covered that in like previous episodes loads is when you send out emails stop thinking about the action at the end of it you don't necessarily need them to sign up then and there or book a meeting then and there what you do want is to start a conversation because if you can start a conversation, you are far more likely to actually get a meeting or the action that you want out of them in the next like second, third or fourth steps. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be so much more impactful for longer down, uh, later down the line. So just remember that communication should be a two-way street. That's an important one. And then don't always focus on the outcome because if you think about it, if you are constantly trying to drive an action with every engagement that you're getting you're going to miss out on a lot of the relational or like brand elements that is going to drive those activities again and i think you and i have talked about this when we were talking about um, linkedin so where we try to like have content where we are driving more um just kind of engagement and it's thought leadership stuff we're not asking anybody for anything and then we have those sign up to our webinar type stuff if you were yep. just to keep going, sign up to my webinar, 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 you're not going to get the audience engagement. But if you don't ask people for things sometimes, then you're not yep. going to get a lot of that either. So there needs yep. to be a balance. And I think that's where marketers who are reporting to board levels and like you and I are both not in that space because we we can do our marketing and we are aware that it's going to take things. But we are ultimately the decision makers. But there's lots of marketers out there who are having to report an ROI, which yep. means that then their entire strategy has to be built out every step by step going, okay, what is this going to drive back? And I think sometimes, particularly if you're trying to be human with your approach to marketing, you just need to like take the take the barriers off and just say, we're just going to put ourselves and the message out there. And we're going to generally try and help people or give some value back without asking for anything in return. Uh, you know, I think that's, um, it's one of these things that like we speak about a lot and, and you and I do, but there is, there's also the, the statistics to back it up. Um, so there's a, a famous study that's called the, the long and the short of it. And uh, it showed that the brands which uh, just engage in that sort of engagement, that sort of acquisition, conversion level activity, uh, they always do see those, those big bumps, you know, those big bumps which please the boss but then the moment they stop everything falls back down and, and then you know they do it again and then it, it bumps up and then it falls back down again but gradually what they see over the course of time is that their base level point is getting lower and lower and lower rather than if they were investing in brand activity then that baseline gets higher and higher and higher so there's a bigger peak or uh, if it's higher and then but if over the course of time, then you know their brand equity is, is reducing. That that peak sort of goes down, and then well, it's, it's um, diminishing returns. So like yeah. the activity might still be there, but yeah. what you actually get out of the activity is gonna tail away. For me, focusing on I, I put a post out on LinkedIn, I think last week, talking about brand and demand. Like you need to balance the two. I'm not saying it needs to be a 50-50 split. But I think you do need to make sure that you are focused on both because that's where you start to get growth. And I obviously put it out with a really nice Venn diagram that was a scribble that said like, here's the bit in the middle that means growth. And it's, for me, that's where marketers often forget to bring that value in. Absolutely. Well, that's, um, 
for those of the people who are interested, there is a really interesting talk on the marketing meetup about this uh, by a guy called Chris Tate, who uh, the, the talk is entitled "How to Not Fall into a Performance Marketing Rut," and uh, like for over the course of an hour, he pretty much decimates any argument for short-term marketing so i'd really recommend people checking that out if if they've got a moment right so like i mean we've discussed a couple of framework points but i don't think we've actually fleshed out an actual framework so i think maybe we should do that at some point joe (laughs) (laughs) maybe that thing that we said at the beginning of the the podcast we actually do one day yeah so so this is not a framework and joe and i have just chatted some shit about what we think would make up said framework and actually i think now is a good point to go we would love to hear what your opinions are on what should go into a framework and then joe and i might actually create a framework yeah we'll do that thing (laughs) as ever although i don't think we've actually asked for it in a while so joe i think we've just been giving value and not had any ass off the back of it for a while which is great but we would love for you to jump onto itunes and give us a five-star review and say something nice about us because you know it makes us feel big and clever That was well creepy, Joe. (laughs) Get the crochet out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. um, Thank you very much. Thank you.